Almighty God. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity to open up the book of life, your word, the word that will judge us on the last day. We're so thankful, Father, for this opportunity. Father, we pray that we will always put you first, that we will always put you at the center of our lives, and that you will bless us, Father, that you will bless us with eternal life if we do that. Father, please bless the study as we continue studying the parables of Jesus. Please bless those who are sick and hurting and need, and need encouragement right now. Please bless the elders and deacons of this good church, all of the members who work together to serve. Father, I pray that you will hear this prayer and Bless us and let this study glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to begin the 11th study in the Parables of Jesus series that we are engaged in. I want to begin this study by reading from the Gospel of Luke. You may want to go ahead and go in your Bible to Luke, the 14th chapter. In Luke, the 14th chapter, in verse number 33, Jesus says this. He says, so then, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his, all his own possessions. I submit to you that the words of Jesus here might be considered very surprising. Very astonishing, even very perplexing. I mean, notice carefully what the Lord is saying in this verse. Notice how the Lord says that even though a person may believe in him, even though a person may acknowledge him to be deity and the very son of God, that doesn't automatically mean they, that they are his disciples. That doesn't automatically mean that they are one of his people. According to what Jesus says in this verse, being a disciple requires a lot more. It requires more than just believing in Jesus. And someone says, well, what else does it require? Well, according to what the Lord is saying in this verse, it clearly requires sacrifice. It clearly requires dedication. It clearly requires counting the cost of what it means to be one of his people. Sacrifice, dedication, and counting the cost. That's what the Lord is emphasizing in this verse. And we can be certain of that because of the context that this verse is found in. We can be certain that the Lord is talking about those things because of what is found in the previous verses. You see, when you go back up and look at the previous verses of this chapter, in verses 28 down to verse number 32, Jesus tells two parables. He tells the parable of the tower and the parable of the kings who go out to war. He tells the parable of the tower and the parable of the kings who go out to war. The context for both of these parables 
actually begins in a parable that is told prior, verses 16 through 24. In verses 16 through 24, Jesus tells another parable, and that parable is called the parable of the dinner. The parable of the dinner begins with verse number 16 of the chapter. Beginning with verse number 16, Jesus tells a parable that is designed to emphasize and teach the need to put him first and foremost in our lives. This parable is about a man who throws a big, lavish dinner. He throws a big party. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've thrown a, a, a big potluck, a big dinner, a big get-together. That man does this here, and he invites a lot of people. He invites a lot of people that he views as important to come to this great feast, to come to this great dinner that he has prepared. He's prepared an enormous feast. He's invited a bunch of people, but the, but the people that, that he invites, they, they, don't, they don't come. They don't come to this feast. They don't take him up on his invitation. Instead, what they do is they come up with a bunch of excuses. They give a bunch of excuses as to why they can't attend the dinner. Jesus says that one person said that he couldn't come because he bought a piece of land and, and he needs to go and look at it. He says, I bought some property and, and I got to go look at this new property I just bought. Another person said, well, I just bought five yoke. And I need to go and try them out. Somebody else says, well, I just got married and, and I, need to focus on, I need to focus on that. You know, all of these guests, all of these people have been invited to this great feast. And, they, and instead of coming to it, they have all these excuses. They have all these excuses as to why. They can't go to the dinner. They all put other things before going to the dinner. That's what the Lord essentially describes in the parable of the dinner. And the point he's making with that parable is how these people responded to the invitation to go to the dinner. Is exactly how many believers respond or act in the kingdom of God. You see, like those who were invited guests to this man's dinner, so often believers, Christians, they put other things before the kingdom of God. They come up with all kinds of excuses as to why they can't put the Lord first. They come up with all kinds of excuses as to why they can't be engaged in the Lord's work. As a preacher of the gospel, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've heard people use excuses as to why they can't serve the Lord and, and put the Lord first. That's what these people in this parable do. They come up with all kinds of excuses as to why they can't attend the dinner and Jesus' point is, that's exactly how many believers treat the kingdom of God. That's exactly how many believers treat the Lord and his work. Instead of getting busy, instead of taking the Lord up on his invitation to be part of his kingdom and to be productive in his kingdom, they come up with a bunch of excuses as to why they can't do that. In fact, going back to this parable, it is interesting how in it, 
Once the master learned about those who refused to come to his dinner, he got angry. He got furious. He got very, very upset. He didn't force these people to come to his dinner, just like the Lord doesn't force us to be, product, be, to be productive citizens in his kingdom. This man doesn't force, force these people to, to, to come to his dinner. Instead, he, he decides to invite other people. Since the first guest declined the invitation, the man who prepares the dinner, he goes out into the streets, he sends people out into the streets, and he tells them to, to bring other people to the dinner. Bring the blind, bring the cripple and the lame and the poor. Bring the people who are viewed as, as, viewed as outcasts in society. Maybe they will come to the dinner. Maybe they will partake of, of the blessings that I'm offering. Again, he doesn't force the first group to come to the dinner. When they declined, he... He let them go. He instead went out and he invited other people. And the second group of people he invited, they did take him up on the invitation. They did come to the dinner. Now, there's a lot I could say about this parable and how through it, Jesus condemned the Jewish leaders of his day. He condemned men like the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the ones who were first invited to the Lord's dinner, but they refused. There's a lot I could say about that. But, again, the point of this is on the slide. The point of this parable is the Lord desires and he demands to be first place. He desires and he demands that he and his work have top priority in our lives and any excuses we come up with for not making the Lord and his work the top priority in our lives, that's, that's unacceptable. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to fly with, with the Lord. The Lord teaches that clearly in the parable of the dinner. And he emphasizes that further in verse number 26. When you look at verse number 26, after Jesus tells this parable, he says this to the crowd. He says, if anyone comes to me and is not, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be, he cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice that word hate that the Lord uses in that verse. You see that word hate? When the Lord used the word hate here, he's not using it like we commonly use it today. We talk about despising someone and, and wanting someone to suffer and really having a strong dislike and passion for somebody that's not how the lord is using the word hate here in fact if that was how he was using the word hate you and i both know that would contradict so many other verses that are found in the bible when the lord says hate your father and hate your mother and your wife and your children he's not saying it's wrong to love these people and care for these people there are numerous verses in the bible where he himself demands and commands us to do that you see, when the Lord uses the word hate here, he's actually using the word to mean love less. You must love your parents less than you love the Lord. You must love your wife less than you, leave, than you love the Lord. You must love your children, your friends, your grandchildren. All these people must come 
after the Lord. The Lord must be loved more than these people. All of these people must come second to the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Here Jesus is saying that if we don't love him first, if we don't put him first place in our lives, we can't be his disciples. We can't be authentic disciples of Jesus when we're putting our family members before him. And I know so often people are quick to say, well, I put the Lord first and foremost in our lives. But the truth about that statement is really found in a person's actions. You know, so often people say they love the Lord first, but their actions demonstrate something else. Their actions demonstrate that they actually love their parents more or they love their spouse more, or they love their kids more. So often people say they love the Lord first, but the truth comes out in their actions. The Lord says he's got to come first place. Everybody else must be loved less than him. He goes on to talk about this more in verse 27. And what we're dealing with now is authentic discipleship. This is challenging stuff. Verse 26 talks about loving him above your family. And then in verse 27, he says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Notice the word cross that the Lord uses there. The Lord died on a cross, did he not? The Lord suffered and bled on a cross, right? Well, the Lord here doesn't talk about his cross. Instead, he talks about our cross. He says that if we don't carry our own cross and come after him, we can't be his disciple. We can't be his disciple if we love our family more than him, and we can't be his disciple if we don't bear our own cross. When the Lord talks about carrying or bearing a cross in this verse, He's using the word cross to refer to suffering. The cross refers to suffering. When you look at what the cross meant to Jesus, the cross was suffering. The Lord suffered on the cross. The Lord gave his life for us on the cross. The Lord died on the cross. The cross is a reference to suffering. And the Lord is saying that if we're going to really be his disciples, then we got to be willing to suffer for him. We got to be willing to sacrifice for him. We got to be willing to experience persecution from the world because we're willing to stick with him and love him above anyone else. Again, the point of all of this is the Lord demands to be first place. He demands preeminence. He demands top priority. He demands us counting the cost what it means to be his disciple. We've got to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Someone says, well, what do you mean when you use this language, count the cost? Well, let's keep reading the text. Go back to Luke 14, and this time I want to pick up with verse 28. Are you in Luke, the 14th chapter? Let's start reading with verse number 28 after Jesus says, that we can't be his disciple if we don't carry our own cross and come after him. We got to follow him. In verse number 28, he says four. And this is an explanation of what he just previously said about carrying our own cross and coming after him. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, 
does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, when I first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with the 10,000 men, with 10,000 men, to encounter one coming out against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still far, far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Notice the two parables that Jesus tells in those verses. Do you see them? Again, those verses are commonly called, those parables are commonly called the parable of the tower and the kings who go out to war. There are two, ver two parables found in those verses, and I submit to you that both of those parables are talking about the same thing. Both of those parables are talking about counting the, co about counting the cost to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to count the cost before you go after Jesus. Look back at verse 28. Notice the question Jesus asked in verse 28 when telling the parable of the tower. He says, for which of you, which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Ladies and gentlemen, who in the world does that? Who in the world starts out building a large tower? Think about one of the Trump Towers in Chicago or New York City. Think about one of the huge towers you see in New York City or in Chicago. Think about Chicago and how it is loaded with all these great, these great architectural structures, all these great buildings. If you've never been to Chicago before, you need to go because it is full of just humongous towers, huge, huge buildings. Now think about the people, the great architects who made those structures in Chicago. Who in the world would start building the Willis Tower or one of the Trump Towers and not ask some, not first ask some very important questions? Questions like, what is going to be the cost to build this thing? How much is this going to cost? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough finances to build this thing? Do I have the resources that are needed to build a structure like this? Who in the world builds a huge tower without first counting the cost? Who in the world builds a tower like the Willis Tower or like a Trump Tower and not first say, what is this going to cost? Do I have the finances? Do I have the resources? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, do you do that kind of stuff? Do you engage in huge projects without first counting the cost? I mean, do you begin engaging in some renovations on your home? without first counting the cost, without first seeing if you have the money to, to, to do those renovations? 
Do you go and buy a car without first counting the cost? Do you go and buy a home without first counting the cost, without first seeing if you can afford that house, if you can afford the mortgage payment, if you can afford the utilities on, on the house you're looking at? at? Do, you, do you go and buy a home without first counting the cost? Do you go to the grocery store and just stuff stuff a lot of stuff in your in your grocery buggy without first counting the cost, without first saying, okay, this is how much money I have, and I got to make sure I don't go over this budget. Don't you count the cost? I hope you do. Do you count the cost before making a financial investment? Do you count the cost without first investing in a company? Do you count the cost before planning a nice vacation? Do you not first, before planning to go somewhere, first calculate, do we have enough for the plane tickets? Do we have enough for the hotel? Do we have enough for the rental car? Do we have enough to eat on for the days we're going to be there? Do you not first count the cost when it comes to this kind of stuff? If you try to be somewhat of a wise person, then, then, then you certainly do. You certainly need to. Jesus said that the man in this parable, he needed to count the cost before making a tower. Jesus said if this man didn't first count the cost, some bad things might result. First, he said that this man might not be able to, to finish the tower. He may start it, but he may not be able to finish it. He might run out of money. He may run out of resources. And if he doesn't finish what he started, then Jesus said the second bad thing that would happen is people would see his half-finished project and they would laugh at him. They would make fun of him. They would say that this man started something, but he didn't count the cost. He didn't make sure he had enough resources to complete it. See, in the parable of the tower, Jesus is talking about counting the cost. Nobody starts a construction project without first counting the cost. And this point is further emphasized in the next parable. Notice how in the next parable, in the parable about the kings who go out to war, Jesus asked another question. And this time, the question is this. The question is, who goes out to battle? What king goes out to battle against another king? Without first asking, can I win this battle? Is my army strong enough to win this battle? Can I realistically defeat this army with far fewer men? I'm going against a much larger army. Do I have the resources to wage this war? Would it be smarter maybe for me to make peace? Could I not save some lives maybe, a lot of lives in my kingdom if I seek to make peace with what appears to be a much stronger army? These are the kind of questions that this man asks in this parable. And again, the point of all of this is following Jesus. Following Jesus requires counting the cost. Just like a king who's going out to meet another king in battle. 
Is he not going to sit down and first consider if his army strong enough? Can he really win with just 10,000 men going against 20? Would it not be wiser to, to try to make peace? Just like a king asks himself those questions, just like a king counts the cost before going out to war against another king, Jesus says that's exactly what it's like being a disciple. Jesus says that being a disciple requires that we count the cost. Do you really want to do this? Do you really understand what this involves? Do you really understand what comes with following Jesus? Both of these parables deal with counting the cost. Verse 33 deals with counting the cost. The question I want to ask you is this, though. Here's my question. Have you done that? Have you counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Have you considered how following Jesus is not a game? It's not something that you can effectively do being in sometimes and out at other times. It's not something you can do half-hearted or being lukewarm. No, when you go with Jesus, you got to go all in. You either go all the way with him or you go nowhere at all with him. Following Jesus requires authenticity. It requires sacrifice. It requires putting him at the very foundation and center of your life. Have you considered that? Have you counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Have you counted the cost and considered how following Jesus requires, requires you being a pure and holy person? It may require you getting out of an unlawful marriage if you're in one right now. It may require you making sure your life is in line with what Jesus says in Matthew 19 and verse number 9. You know, so often people say they want to follow Jesus, but then remain in unscriptural marriages. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Following Jesus requires making sure our marriages are in line with what he taught himself in Matthew 19 verses 1 through 9. It requires being part of a sound local church of Christ. It requires making sure that worship is a top priority in your life. Worshiping him every Sunday. Not saying, well, I'm just going to go once a month and, and, and then I'll just stay at home the other three Sundays. Or I'll just go whenever I feel like it. If you're going to treat worship in that way, then you might as well not even follow Jesus in the first place because you're not all in. You haven't truly counted the cost. Counting the cost means that you understand that if you follow Jesus, worship's going to be a top priority. You're going to worship him and his father every first day of the week with his people. You're going to be a member at a sound local church of Christ. If you're a young disciple, you're going to be obedient to your parents. If you're going to follow Jesus as a teenager, you can't be like the teenager's in the world, disrespectful and dishonorable. You got to be submissive and respectful to your parents. You must obey your parents. 
you got to count the cost. Counting the cost may also require you giving up drinking. If that's a problem for you, counting the cost means you got to give that up if you're going to follow Jesus. Counting the cost means you got to give up cursing. Counting the cost means you got to give up gossip. Counting the cost means that you got to give up those friends who are leading you down a path of destruction. Following Jesus requires giving him not just a say in your life, but the ultimate say. The say, the main say in every aspect of your life. It requires you giving up your will for his will. It requires you surrendering completely to the will of the Lord. That's what the Lord is teaching in both of those parables, in the parable of the tower and the parable of the kings who go out to war. The Lord is using both of those illustrations to make the point that he has to come first. To make the point that when coming to him, before coming to him, count the cost. Understand that following him requires putting him above our family. It requires suffering for him. It requires experiencing persecution for him. It requires giving up the sinful things of the world that we may be engaged in. It requires giving him the ultimate say-so in every part of our lives. That's what the Lord is teaching in those, in those parables. And let's be challenged by that. Let's be challenged by the Lord's teaching in these two parables. Teaching that really get to the heart of discipleship. My dear friends, discipleship is about following Jesus with every fiber of our being. It's about putting him first, letting him rule over us completely. That's what it means. And before we give our lives to him, we better make sure that we're all in. Because if we're not all in, there's no point in getting in at all. Now, that's the study. That's the study today. We got one more study left in this series. Our next study is going to come from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at a parable Jesus told in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 7 ahead of time, I recommend you do that. We'll be looking at Matthew 7. I want to say that very soon we're going to be starting our Bible classes in person, in-person Bible classes Again, here at the Monta Vista Church of Christ, I'm excited about that. We're going to have our kids' classes. If it's the Lord's will, we're going to be back and having adult classes. And I'm just excited about that. I really, really am. We haven't done that in several months due to COVID, but the Lord has blessed us to, to have light at the end of the tunnel. Very soon, we're going to have our, our in-person classes. I want to say that since I've been doing these Bible class videos and I've actually done, this is my 57th Bible class video since the pandemic started. I've enjoyed them immensely. I hope you've benefited from them. Uh, once the in-person classes start, I will no longer be doing the online classes. Uh, but I want you to know that I've, been, I've enjoyed them immensely. They've been a pleasure to teach and whether you're in Phoenix or you're somewhere else in the country or around the globe, thank you for studying with me. It's been truly an honor and a privilege. I'm very thankful to live in a time where we have all this technology, 
where we can have studies like this. And I'm especially thankful to Brian Sheely, one of our deacons who uh, helps me with this. He's been just a tremendous help to me uh, in helping me, helping me be able to do this. And I really thank him for all, he, all the work he does as a deacon. God bless you. Look forward to our next study. Uh, I hope and pray that these lessons have encouraged you. And I hope and pray that even after these studies are concluded, that you will continue to study and restudy the parables of our Lord.